Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. In this HR Chat episode, we're going to consider how HR leaders can implement more equitable work practices. And our guest this time is Jeffrey O'Williams. Jeffrey has had a diverse career journey, starting his working life in the entertainment industry, then moving into healthcare, transport, and media. He was the former global head of diversity and inclusion at Thomson Reuters, where he worked on strategy, culture, and implementation of a DNI agenda. And he globally launched Thomson Reuters Diversity and Inclusion Index, which was awarded EY's National Equity Standard. He has been featured in the Financial Times Top 100 Ethnic Minority Role Models and DEMA 50 Male Advocates for Equality in Marketing and Media. Currently, he is the founder of Jeffrey O. Williams, a boutique consultancy where he delivers insights, education, and training around community, culture, brand, and DNI. Jeffrey is also the co-founder of Rocking Your Teens, a social enterprise that introduces young people to the real world of work and aims to connect the teens to positive and vibrant futures. So he's basically a lovely, lovely man. Uh, Jeffrey is a renaissance man who tries his hand at many different things, but all leads to people understanding how trust, collaboration, and community create success. Jeffrey, what a guy! Jeffrey, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Uh, wow. Okay. So you, you've, you've done loads of amazing things and you do some awesome things that really help people today. I'm looking forward to this, to this interview. Well, uh, firstly, beyond my wee introduction to tell our listeners a bit more about your career in, in the creative sector and how that connects to the work that you do now. Yeah. So my career in the creative sector, gosh, started when I was 13. And for those of you that are in the UK or know the UK, there's a show called Blue Peter. And I was watching that show and I saw them basically showcase this performing arts school called the Brits Performing Arts School, which is kind of like, I guess, famous for Adele, Amy Winehouse, and of, of course me and other musicians and filmmakers. And I decided that I wanted to go there. Um, so I applied, got in and was studying uh, performing arts and um, media studies. and. Initially, I wanted to be a singer, and I was kind of traveling down that path, doing random auditions and really kind of focusing on being a recording artist. And then while at the Brits, I kind of did this class where it talked about the music business and how you, how what does, what's the role of the manager, what's the role of the label, and how you build things. And there was a click in my head, and I was kind of like, actually, I don't want to be in front of the camera. I'd like to be behind. Um, so effectively, I then switched my kind of focus to working in the actual business side of things. So initially, when I left the Brits, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I thankfully found this course in a university that was just starting around the music business. So I spent three years actually studying and exploring what the music business was made up and made of and made up of and how you could apply, I guess, business parameters to the music industry. 
And I think the thing that I found that I still embrace today in the work that I'm doing is the fact that you need to collaborate with your musicians and the artist itself to make the art that you're going to sell. And then you have to pitch it to the labels to get their investment. You know, they're the big bank that are going to turn around and say, we'll invest X to help you promote this project. And that you also have to have clear objectives, goals, and an understanding of the external landscape. So who you're actually selling this music to and why you're creating it. And I think, you know, looking at how I work now from a DNI standpoint, it's definitely about bringing all those things together to, to build a community and to get people to collaborate. So throughout my time in working in the creative sector, I worked and did things around films, uh, live events, theatre productions and, rec and recorded albums. Um, and then around, I guess, 2008, I started to transition out. But it was a, a great time. And I, as I said, I feel like I use a lot of those skills now to deliver the work I do. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, now, a big part of your career, 11 and a half years, uh, was at Thomson Reuters. What were some of the biggest challenges you, you faced there in your role as global head of diversity and, and inclusion? I think DNI as a subject is a challenge, and it's kind of getting everyone to understand that they are part of the work that you're doing, that you and your team are not the, I guess, the beholders of diversity and inclusion. Diversity is a business activity that even though you're focusing on making changes for one community, say, you know, for us at Thompson Voices, when we started, a lot of our work was focused around gender, but kind of making sure that everyone, male and female, and those in between understood that the work that we we're doing was for everybody, but we needed to focus on one community to elevate them up to create equality within the work that we're doing, to make sure that everyone knows that DNI is not a hobby within the business and that it does actually have a link back to core business drivers. Um, that it's a way to build brand engagement externally. And in some instances, it's a way to change the society that we live within. Um, I think it's also about getting everyone to understand that what you're trying to create is a space where everyone feels psychologically safe, that they can bring their whole selves to work, and that they're going to you know, achieve their life's ambition within your four walls, if that's their intent. Um, and also getting everyone to understand that when you approach this subject, it needs to be holistic. So, uh, you know, really kind of making sure that people understand what racism or the racial equality within your organization should look like on a global scale. How do you engage with those with disabilities, people from different sexual backgrounds, uh, you know, looking at disability and how do you set a clear and definitive direction that people can then measure their success against, but also that they understand that the world that we're operating within is evolving. And I think sometimes that conversation gets lost when we're talking about diversity and inclusion because we're always quite a lot of time we're looking backwards in this conversation and not always forwards. So I think it's finding that balance to do both. Now, as part of your role, you partnered with uh, the HR department to, to adjust the, the hiring process at Thomson Reuters so that it would leverage improvements in, in DNI throughout the recruitment lifecycle and benchmark proactive practices can can you talk to us a little bit about what that involved what what were some of those conversations what were the exciting bits when you guys are leveraging and implementing new technologies to to assist in in that in that, that journey in, in that mission to create a more um, diverse and inclusive hiring process through to onboarding through to hopefully people being there in, in 20 years time <laughs> um, I think you know working with 
the, the HR colleagues that I got to work with was, you know, a bunch of fantastic people. And I think we started with, with education um, about how their roles as HR professionals fed into diversity and inclusion. In a way, HR are the gatekeepers of some of the change that we need to see in organizations. They're also the holders of the measurement stick in a way, because they understand who's coming into the business, how long they're staying for, you know, what they're paid, when they move on, why they move on, and kind of really getting them to understand that within that, there's a there's a need for us to understand the multitude of uh, identities that exist within the organization. It was getting them to be comfortable articulating the DNI mission and vision for themselves and then back to their key stakeholders and really kind of thinking about how that linked back to our reputation as an employer of choice for diverse communities, but also how did it link back to some of the innovation that we were thinking of putting in place and how could we, I guess, leverage the people that worked within the organization to understand how that might impact different types of individuals. I think it was also really getting them to see that diversity was more than just saying, oh, we're going to look at talent reviews, we're going to look at recruitment, but getting them to understand that it impacted our supply chain, that it impacted our external and internal communications, our marketing strategies, our employee engagement narratives, and, and how in kind of understanding that this it had a broad sweep and was part of so many different facets of the business they were then able to make some changes that would affect our our culture at large i think when we were looking at recruitment it was really getting that team to understand where their own personal biases might show up in the work that they needed to do making sure that they understood how they could connect with diverse communities. So that's whether, you know, as a DNI team, we were taking part in a in multitude of benchmarking exercises. Uh, we were speaking to lots of external providers and kind of making sure that we invited in the right people from the HR space to be a part of those conversations. So they understood how they could go out and find different people within the community. Also making sure that anyone that we were working with externally uh, from a HR standpoint actually understood our focus and we're, what we were trying to do. So at one point, we had a, uh, a kind of ambition to be 40% women in leadership by the end of 2020. So that meant that we had to talk about it internally, but then we also had to talk about it externally with anyone that was on our supply chain, anybody that was engaging and supporting us with recruitment to make sure that they were actually going out and finding diverse talent and making sure that they were kind of considering our organization. I think it was also about co supporting our recruiters and our, our HR BPs around really getting them to understand how they coach hiring managers to understand, again, where their biases may show up, but also how they look at their teams. So I think the thing I always say is sometimes people say, oh, Bill's leaving the organization. I really liked Bill. I want another Bill. You might not actually need another bill. You might need a Jeffrey, someone who's had a multitude of experiences or is going to kind of push your business to ideate and come up with new ideas. Or someone that just actually might be more of an extrovert if a lot of your team is introvert or vice versa. So that you're kind of creating this balance and synergy within your team. And I think for me personally, looking at where we're going as a society, I think that's going to be a key driver to how people recruit and retain and promote talent is looking beyond just the skill sets of what they've done in their careers, but the multitude of other things that they've done throughout their journeys. And I think that was a lot of the work that we were doing with our HR colleagues um, to kind of get them to understand how they could coach and support the wider business in this way.
Let, let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit more, if you don't mind. Within your last answer, there we obviously covered how how you and your team work with the HR department, and of course, you touched upon getting buy-in from from leadership there. But you also uh, used an example of uh, of um, bringing bringing Jeffrey in this this wonderful guy with this experience, <laughs> a, a, an extrovert in, in replacement for that that dude Bill, um, and and uh, for whatever reason. Bill's former team members, they're pushing back a little bit on this and they, they don't understand what a diamond they have in their new colleague, Jeffrey. Um, how could they not, right? Um, <laughs> uh, and how, how do you take people with you when you're exploring the subject of inclusion, equality and diversity? How, 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 do, you, how do you get them on board accepting the little things like oh, actually you know what it's maybe it's not a little thing it's a big thing uh, mm-hmm. you know actually this time we, we need an extrovert we, we can't have another introvert on our team how, how, how do you how do you encourage a culture which is constantly looking to um add something new add something uh, a new strength a new layer uh, uh to for, for the overall improvement of team performance and, and company performance I, th- I think it goes back to something I said earlier on. I think it's about setting the framework of what DNI means for your four walls. I kind of say to everyone, there's always kind of, I guess, two angles of this DNI topic. There's the kind of social justice external position where you're pushing for governmental reform, and businesses do do that now. And then, and then I think there's the kind of internal focus. And what do you stand for within your four walls? And what are your goals, your ambitions, and your vision in this space? And making sure that everybody understands that they play a part in this activity, but then also reminding them of key points of where they can make a difference, a personal difference. So at that point of hiring someone that is slightly different than the normal person that you hire, yes, that individual might be an outlier, but they're still an individual and encouraging everyone that's in the existing team to kind of figure out how they build a relationship with that individual and embrace their knowledge and their difference. Effectively, when you go to market to hire someone and you bring them in, most people are going to be competent, intelligent, capable people. And what they're going to need is that a community that embraces them. And I think it's encouraging everyone to consider that piece of embracing the new individual because the individual could be very similar to everybody, but then they just have a, I don't know, a kind of different sidestep on a process. And I think it's getting everyone to kind of embrace that and listen to that new voice. I think another example of that is kind of like, you know, we go out and we hire grads and interns and they come in and they're really excited and buoyant and full of youthful enthusiasm. And within the first month, they turn around and say to, you know, their line manager, do you know something? I was doing this this bit of uh, I don't know customer service work and if I took out that segment in our in our pitch it would take it down to 15 minutes instead of a 30 minute chat and I think we'd have great returns and generally what happens is that line manager says oh you're new here you've only been here a month and you're a grad what do you know you have no work experience and I think it's kind of us saying actually no what can we learn from this next generation coming in what are the parameters or the things that we're missing because we've been entrenched in this organization for an extensive amount of time. And what can we learn from fresh eyes? And I think that's part of the conversation that we always have to have when you're bringing in that difference and that new idea and that new energy into any organization around your culture. Okay, thank you. Let's talk about something which has been in place 
in many countries since since the 1970s and that's uh, that's employee resource groups, sometimes called affinity groups or diversity groups. How, how can they how, how can they help to develop more inclusive workplaces? I, I you know I think that your employee resource groups are your culture champions. They can be your future leaders in your business because they are demonstrating a tenacity to set up new things to engage with people to take people on a journey to in some instances go out into the marketplace and be bastions of your business um i think they also have a perspective on the organization that is is beneficial in some instances i think um that they are also in a way uh highlighting where there's inequality on what their roles are so, you know, you're meant to empower them to think about how they attract talent from their communities. When you're launching new products and new ideas, maybe engaging with them to see what they think about it. Um, but also kind of getting them to understand that, you know, they might have to run the events and activities, but the HR team is responsible for policy. Um, I think it's also not leaning on them too much. So, you know, speaking to my network and, and my friends, a lot of them have been you know, under pressure to support their businesses to address Black Lives Matter. And I, and in some instances, they know what they think personally about the subject, but they don't understand it from a broader business perspective and how the organisation should be, you know, affecting change, speaking about it in the public. And I think you have to kind of find that balance of leaning into the capabilities of the people that are championing, leading and engaging with these activities, but not leaning them on, on them too much to do things that your HR and your DNI team should be doing. So I think, you know, for all the years that employee resource groups have been in place, I think you can see some examples of where they've had some really great customer insights, where they've done some really great projects that have then attracted talent. And I think that is where you need to kind of, I guess, position and, and champion and support your employee networks to lean into. Okay, thank you. Uh, now let's let's uh, focus a little bit on some things that you're up to uh, in the present day. Uh, so you, you founded uh, an organization called Rocking Your Teens. And, and, uh, and we gave us a little bit of lip service in, in the intro in, in terms of what a nice chap you are and what a difference you're making. Um, <laughs> Jeffrey, can, can you share with our audience a little, a little bit about Rocking Your Teens, what, what the mission is and how it's making a difference? Yeah, sure. So uh, Rocking Your Teens was founded in 2014. Um, it was set up uh, because me and my co-founders saw a gap in the knowledge that young people receive about the world of work. So effectively, it's I don't know what it was like for you when you were at school, but you, I know I did some tick, tick a kind of like a multiple choice tick box exercise, which went into a computer spout algorithm and said you could be a librarian or a singer, which was I guess at the time I was very excited about the fact that it spat out singer because that's what I wanted to do. But in the same instance, it didn't necessarily give you a roadmap of how you got there, what what skills you needed, and you know how you built networks and, and built access. So I think you know for us at Rocking Your Teens, you know we do our work in three different ways. So we run a well before COVID, we ran a face to face uh, all day conference where we had we have different speakers that speak about their experiences, not only in work, but also how it applies to mental health issues or confidence and and uh, studying and how they approach doing their exams and kind of really giving a bit more of a real world experience. I think 
I'll say to everyone, one of the most powerful speakers that we ever had was this young lady who's very successful in what she's doing now. And the opening of her speech was, at 14, I decided to get pregnant. And she explained why at 14 she decided to get pregnant and then what that meant for the rest of her career tra trajectory. Now, when you meet her now, you'd never know any of that stuff about her because she's, you know, got awarded by the Queen and various other things that kind of give her a stature in life. But she made a decision at a young age that had a ramifications that were far, far field and kind of far, far flowing. And she was able to kind of make some changes. So that was really powerful for the people that attended to hear that narrative and think about the choices they were going to make. We also, uh, at the moment, are running online webinars where we run 60-minute sessions, again, around the topic of mental health and confidence. And then we're just about to launch a leadership program with one of our partner schools, where effectively we'll be working with them for a year, providing them with mentors and really getting the young people that we engage with to think about uh, you know, what they want to do. Uh, for their careers, how they're going to get there, and you know what they need access to. We primarily focus um, around 13 to 14 year olds. That's for most countries is where you make your initial first decision about your career path, um, depending on what you want to do. And we found that's also where you know young women opt out of the science and, and STEM sector. The young men opt out of a lot of the creative stuff. And it's kind of getting everyone to kind of lean into their brilliance and who they are as individuals to to kind of really drive the world forward. Um, and, you know, we're really excited about doing this. As I said, we've worked with over, I think, about 200 schools now and had about 3,000 uh, young people attend and engage with our events. And it's just been, a, I guess, a phenomenal journey and, and a continuous learning for us as a team around I guess what the youth of the future need. What do they need? What do they need? Tell me, Jeffrey. Is it is it is it, is it TikTok? Because TikTok, <laughs> is it TikTok? TikTok <laughs> confuses me. But uh, they, my, I, my I don't know if it's TikTok. It. I think it's. Uh, I think what they need is you know basically access to insights and information, cool. um, to understand the choices they're making, but also to, you know, know that education is important, but it's not the be all and end all because not everybody yeah. that is sitting in a position of influence now in their careers, you know, got all of their GCSEs or achieved all their A-levels or are sitting there with a PhD. Sometimes real work and life experience is going to take you a lot further. But I think the most important thing that we found as we talk to these young people is the gift of being embracing their individuality. I think a lot of people, like most of us realize, oh, the best gift I have for my career, for my life, to be myself, we realized that probably, I don't know, in our late 20s, early 30s, and then suddenly everything clicks and you you can see a, a shift in where your career goes and possibly where your personal life goes. And I think getting them to understand that at 13 and 14 may set them up for, you know, quicker success, you know, managing their mental health better, managing their, you know, their expectations in a different way. And, and not kind of falling into some of the traps that, you know, those of us who are a little bit older have done. Oh, man, where were you when I needed you, Jeffrey, 20 years <laughs> ago? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're already coming towards the end of this interview. Just a few last uh, rapid fire questions <laughs> for you. Okay. Uh, firstly, you, you, you founded a consultancy where you help firms with things like building cross-business strategy that utilizes 
IND as a as a value adding model to to businesses, and you have experience mm-hmm. in recruitment, talent management, learning and development, organizational design, and of course DNI that we've spoken about today. T- tell me tell me more about the Jeffrey O. Williams Consultancy and what it offers, and do all of that in under sixty seconds. <laughs> so I offer coaching to leaders around using around the language of diversity and inclusion and helping them elevate and lean into that from a business perspective i i offer innovation uh holistic dni approach creativity all my energy and i think a lot of imagination is that under 30 seconds <laughs> yeah it was under 30 i gave you 60 so uh, oh, did you give me 60 oh sorry <laughs> 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 that, that's, what you, that, that's what you call a perfect elevator pitch. Wonderful. And one last question for you for today, and that is how, how can our listeners connect with you? How can they learn more about your consultancy, more about rocking your teens? And probably, I guess I should ask, how, how can they get a copy of your latest album? <laughs> latest album doesn't exist um, there is another artist called jeffrey williams so go and listen to his music he's great he wrote for michael jackson i said way out but anyway um you can find out more about rocking your teens at rocking your spelt you are teens.com obviously visit jeffreyowilliams.com to find out a bit more about me you can follow me on instagram and twitter if you want so on twitter it's gw entertainment uh, and on instagram jeffrey o williams and again you can find out you know read my latest blogs and the various activities that i'm getting up to but yeah follow like ask questions i'm always up for a debate so yeah and it's never too late, Jeffrey, for a bit of X Factor auditioning or maybe, <laughs> maybe the voice. I'm just saying you, you should, you know, you should never give up on those dreams too, right? Uh, no, I worked behind the scenes. I know all the rules. I, I wouldn't do that <laughs> to, to, to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that just leads me to say for today, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It was a great opportunity. And listeners, until next time, stay safe and happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette. 